Hey, it's Nick. Thanks for listening to A Certain Degree. This episode aired on August 31st, 2020. And now it is a podcast for you to listen to. It features four amazing people. They were so amazing that I've actually put them into two episodes. This one, 195, and the next one, 196. You'll be introduced to them in a moment, so I'm not going to do that. Thank you so much for listening. As always, go to the social medias, follow, uh, like, do the other things that you do on social medias and tell people about it and tell me about it. Tell me what you like about it. I don't know what you like about it. I'm not going to make assumptions. Do you like me? I don't even know. Okay, enjoy. Hello, you are listening to A Certain Degree. I'm your host, Nick Jurgidiu. This is episode 195. For this episode, we take a look back at some insights, some words of wisdom, some opportunities to learn from others. Those others are Eddie Selliver of Pachacacha Orlando, Lee Perry of Ideas for Us and Fleet Farming, and two amazing artists, Robo Ono and Ryan Semple. And there were just so many opportunities to learn from them. Episode 196 will feature these four incredible human beings as well. We're going to talk college experiences, writer's block, going from a touring musician to a full-time visual artist, and of course, Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture. That'll make sense if you listen to both episodes. Let's get started with Robo Ono, an artist, a musician, and so much more. As with most guests, I didn't know him all that well when he came into the studio. Kind of consider myself chaotic neutral about okay. anything. So Perfect. Pretty good. Well, let's learn a little bit more about you because I invited you on after seeing some of your work, after purchasing some of your work, and I don't mm. really know you all that well other uh, than you need several alarms to get up in the morning. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Which it's, it's early. I can understand that. So we're going to play a game. Maybe you've heard of uh, this game, but it's basically 20 questions. Yes. You're going to say up or down, yes or no. But instead of saying that for the subjects that we come up with, uh, you're going to say the quick okay. or the dead. Oh, Because yeah. it's Halloween season, mm-hmm. so we might as well go with something a little darker. Uh, so the quick common superhero power it's something i think everybody would kind of want as part of their superhero uh powers that they get somehow uh the quickening was a cool thing mm. with the highlanders and the immortals and that uh the dead who, who wants that i mean i guess yeah. it's that time of year but uh <laughs> zombies walkers whatever you want to call them the dead uh so that's what we got so the quick or the dead halloween oh the quick so apparently it's a big holiday for you. It's uh well, yeah, I mean it's it's always been my favorite. Um it's my birthday, <laughs> which well. I worked Happy really birthday. hard. Thank you very much. Almost, yeah. But I worked very hard to uh have, have that come to fruition. Um I kicked my way out like 2 weeks early apparently and I uh, was like, "Here I am. Let's do so this." So you were supposed to be like mid-November and you're like, "No, no, no." Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. I'm, very nice. I can't I can't be on the cusp. <laughs> I got to be dead center and, you know, on that Scorpio business. Um but yeah, it's, I, but I, I never, I kind of lost the taste for it being my birthday because there was a point in my childhood where I had to either choose to go trick-or-treating with my friends or do a birthday party. And like my friends didn't want to come to the birthday party because, because they wanted to they, go trick-or-treating. Yeah. yeah unless and, you were going to promise them a bunch of free candy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like I, we, we weren't really, you know, fiscally comfortable when I was a child. So <laughs> it's like, you know. So now have you come back around, you're good with celebrating both on the same day? 
going yeah. trick or treating. You still go trick or treating? I, I, I do I actually. Yeah. Did, um, yeah. Uh, my girl and I went to uh, the the mouse's not so scary thing, and uh, yeah, it was uh, it was fantastic. I love it. You know, it's just I I know that you know there's people that have a problem with adults having anything to do with the trick or treating or the sure. costumes and things, but it, I mean, you can't let that stuff go. You know. Well, I'm just curious. So remembering back when you were a kid, like Halloween was a big holiday. Yeah. But it wasn't as big. Like I think the last time I checked, you the America spends more on Halloween than any other holiday except for Christmas. Even more than Valentine's Day? Oh yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, way more than Valentine's Day. So this is a mm -hmm. this is I it feels like it's bigger than it's ever been. Yeah. And I don't know if you feel the same way if you've seen that as well. I, I definitely think there's a resurgence. Um, I think in the, the seven, I was, you know, dating myself here, but in the, the 70s and 80s and things like that, it was, it was, I think we were coming technologically into an age to where we could make costumes and, you know, mm -hmm. animatronics in, in your yard and things like that. Those things were starting to come, you know, to, to life and uh, not in a, you know, we're going to get you kind of way, but you know, right, right. Like they, they became available. Um, and I think that just after that, there was this massive, like, okay, we're, we're kind of over it, you know? And, and there was a safety issue with sure. people finding things in their candy, which years later all turned out to be urban legends right, right, for the right. most part. Yeah. Um, but I'm happy to see it coming back. And I think that social media has a big part of that. People are seeing other people having fun and, you know, having these huge festivals and, and, you know, everybody wants in on it. And I think it's fantastic, you know? Do you think we should make it like a weekend instead of a always the thirty first? Because now it's going to be on a Tuesday. It's tomorrow. Um, yeah, I, I I think just suck it up and you know just go out. Yeah, that's what yeah, it, that's what adults night. do. They go out and they're irresponsible. They hurt themselves and they go to work in the morning. That's it. Speaking of being irresponsible, uh, voicemail: the quick or the dead. Uh, oh, the dead. Yeah. 100%. I purposely have an obnoxiously long voicemail message. Just so you don't leave a message? It, it's a, yeah, it's a robot beeps and bloops. And even asks you to, you know, like, I understand the function of the technology. Sure. But it, I don't have time to just text me. <laughs> text me or like, you know, the, what is it, the, the uh, visual voicemail? That mm -hmm. thing's a lifesaver, you know, even though oh, it doesn't. Oh, it translates yeah. it for you? And if for no other reason, because it never gets it right. It never. Yeah, so there's a comedy element. Right? Yeah, there's yeah. like a 65 percent accuracy, uh, but it's but I could be having the worst day ever, and I could read you know something from the guy who wants to sell me a new car, and it's he you know turns it into like going to Bangkok for the weekend and you know partying in Mardi Gras or something, you know, just nice. like completely nothing that, <laughs> and then I'll listen to the message and I'll be disappointed in the original message. Right, right. It was not as not good. Is funny. Yeah, the sequel's never as good. You know. Uh, you're so right. You're so right. <laughs> So the quicker the dead, uh, the beach. Um, give me a time of day. No, no, um, no. Then it's then it's Schrodinger's answer at this point. It's like it's <laughs> both the quick and the dead because it, uh, I'm again I've got a face for radio on this one and uh, and a setup as well. I'm covered in tattoos, and I spent a lot of money and time on getting those how I wanted them done, and I don't want to sit out in the sun. Oh, you know, okay. And, I got you. Yeah, that, I got that's you. a very real concern for me. Even with like, and I put, you know, 70 SPF on. It's almost, it's like super glue. It's still going to affect them in a, in yeah, a way. Yeah, somewhat. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, you know, and plus it's hot and I've, I've never acclimated to the, the Florida heat as much as I would have liked to. Um, so, I mean, in during the daytime, the dead, but at night when there's the breeze going and it's the roar of the ocean, you can sit and have a, and a you know, whatever kind of a, 
a beverage that you're into. I prefer adult beverages. Um, so Vampire Beach vamp- <laughs> is what you're into. Again, I mean, it, it, like, are we referencing Lost Boys? Because not that one. I, I don't. I oh, don't that was go to the pretty beach. cool. Yeah. Oh, no, it wasn't. No, no I'm remembering. All, yeah. I usually just watch the first half of movies. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you know, from what I understand, that did yeah. not turn out well. No, uh, I mean, you know, it was a mess all the way around. But then again, you know, do we need conflict in our lives in order to grow as people and, you know, to, to feed I think our if character. Karate Kid taught us anything, we do not. No. no. That <laughs> is, I mean, when he just reference 80s movies from <laughs> yes. here on out. All right, last question for now, and then we'll uh, play a song. We'll come back and uh, do some other stuff. We got bad business ideas. We got pop quiz. We got all sorts of Halloween stuff. Maybe? Sweet. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, cobbler, the dessert, not the person who fixes your shoe. Uh, <laughs> um, the dead on both. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Not so I, much on Cobbler. I, this is one that I was ready for. Okay. Uh, I, man, I'm just, I love pie. And okay, so you I, feel like you're cheating on pie if you have cobbler? I, yeah, well, I I just feel like presentation uh, to me is is big, and there's just something about the way that the that pie is laid out where it's there's no nonsense, there's no like chunks of an unnecessary or non necessity in there. That <laughs> okay, so it's too chaotic. I think is cobbler for you? Yeah, it's it's like a you like an organized fruity dessert. party. You know, and it's like, I, yeah. there's too many, like, I don't, I don't need chunks of cherry stuck in my teeth while I'm, ch- you know, and, and pot, like pie or cake, especially. Um, it just seems like it's so like the format is much more well-organized. Yeah. It's yeah. just like, I'm here for one thing. Like I just, just let me get that done, <laughs> you know, and it's, that's to consume <laughs> so I can feel bad about myself. I've never immediately heard cobbler described that way, but yeah, yeah so, now that makes sense. Yeah. So. Cobbler, too chaotic, pie, 100%. I can't have it. my dessert mirror my desk. You know, it's like that. I, there just can only be one place for chaos in my life. No, no, no. I understand workplace. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need stuff that's organized to balance out the stuff that is horribly unorganized. Yes, yes. Perfect. Hey, it's Nick. That was from an October 2017 interview with Robo Ono. My suggestion to you is to follow him on Instagram for works in progress, finished works, and the occasional image of him on stage. There is so much more to this conversation with Robo. You can listen to the full interview at toacertaindegree.com. That's T-O-A, certaindegree.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the first 30 minutes of that show, we break down Marilyn Manson's career, Star Wars, sandwiches, all the important things. The 20 questions game is a regular feature on To a Certain Degree, and it's a fun way to learn about someone and put them at ease. If you want to use it on blind dates, job interviews, or elsewhere in your life, you have my blessing. Something else I do with just about every guest is ask them about their post-high school plans. This is important to me for a few reasons, and you'll hear a bit of that in this discussion with Lee Perry of Ideas for Us and Fleet Farming. Culturally, we have this uh, expectation of what coming out of high school should be and what the college process should be. And I am, I tried that and I did very poorly. I flunked out of University of Florida. Mm -hmm. I tried going to community college for a little bit. It was a great community college. I wasn't ready for it. Uh, Eventually I found a mentor that helped me connect me with Mm Embry-Riddle. So I was there for a while and then I ended up at UCF and I graduated from there. And what I felt for a long time was that that was an unusual way of doing things and I did it wrong. And what I'm realizing now working in admissions, working with people, especially those going back to schools. There's no right way to do it. So what I'm always curious about is coming out of high school, 
what were the expectations that you had for yourself and what actually happened? Mm. Well, I'm really, really happy that you told your story because like I, I wanted to say there is no right or wrong way to do it. You know, you have to find yourself and that's just part of the process. Um, I came out of high school. I was low income, but I received a scholarship to travel abroad completely coincidentally. Um, I just applied and out of the blue because I had a teacher throw a packet full of grants and scholarships over at me. And he was like, make yourself useful, apply to these scholarships. And I did. And I got one and it was to travel abroad anywhere where I had already taken a couple semesters worth of another language, which at that time was Italy. I took Italian for like five semesters because I really liked the teacher. So in high school? Yeah. Oh, wow. So straight out of high school, I went to Italy. Um, Had no idea that was going to happen. I had no idea that those (laughs) types of programs were available. Yeah. I was the first person in three years to ever apply. They were like, you're the first person who's ever applied because Americans don't like to travel abroad at that young of an age. Um, and we usually have more high schoolers from Europe come to America. So they sure. were just, they gave it to me just probably out of the fact that I was the only <laughs> one who applied. Um, so it was a full ride scholarship. They even paid my host family and they paid me a stipend to go there and just to live there, just to live there and just not to learn the to language. School, not go to... Well, they have 13 years of high school. So I did my senior year again. Oh, okay. Um, and so, but really I didn't know the language as well as I needed to at first to, you know, carry on in society. So I really had to learn like I was a baby from the first day I was there. I was so completely immersed in the culture, yeah. 100%. So I was there for a year and it taught me so much. And I thought right out of high school, I was going to go and study abroad for the rest of my life and be in Europe. Like I had this idea in my head. And then as soon as I was there long enough, I realized how much we take for granted in America. Mm -hmm. And I was so excited to come home and hit the ground running. And I I don't take anything for granted here anymore. In fact, now I love being American and I want to help fix a lot of the challenges that our country is facing that I've seen uh, Europe excel at. But Europe, as far as my experience in South Italy, it's a little bit old fashioned. They have a long way to go as far as getting to where we are Mm -hmm. um, with the services that we have as a country. For example, just um, animal control. They have dogs everywhere. You'll see dogs dead on the side of the road. They don't have any, anybody doing that. So that's just one thing that really broke my heart that we take for granted here. I would imagine. Yeah. Um, But anyway, moving forward, um, when I came back home, I had nothing. So I had to sleep on people's couches. I didn't have a car. I didn't really have money. I just had my suitcase and what I had. And was this here in Florida or were you up north at the time? Yeah, I had bright futures. So um, I, you know, I I went to high school here in Florida, but I'm originally from Massachusetts. Okay. And I just decided I'm not going to take my education for granted. So I went to a community college and it was the best few years of my life. Seminole State. Seminole State. I took my time. I really... um, wanted to get the full experience. And I felt like in the community college, I had a much better college experience than UCF. So when you say college experience, you mean the sort of, again, the traditional, what you would think of a college experience interacting with faculty, interacting with other students, being part of student groups? No, I never had time. You okay. know, I was, I was paying my way through school, you know, and even though I had bright futures, I still had to pay for my books and everything. I sure. had a little bit of help from my grandma here and there, but 
So I, then what did you mean by college experience when you say I had a better college experience in Seminole State than I did at UCF? Well, I didn't feel like a number. Got My it. teachers had time to sit down with me and really help me make sure that I excelled in the class versus at UCF, I really kind of feel like cattle sometimes. I would be in a room with upwards to 500 students or take a class online where I'm watching my teacher through a camera. Mm -hmm. That didn't make me feel very good, very valued as a student, like I when I was in Seminole State College. Um, but I just graduated in May. I'm 28 years old, and some people will say, you did it the wrong way because I really took my time. But I didn't do that um, by mistake. I did that on purpose. I wanted to be debt-free, you know. And so it was very hard working sometimes two full-time jobs to pay my way through school. And, um, but it was so worth it. So let me ask you this. Let's, let's transition over to fleet farming because you have been involved in that since 2014 or at mm -hmm. least ideas for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And ideas for us is sort of the umbrella. Could you explain that a little bit yeah. as opposed to what fleet farming is? Yeah. I really think the story is great because ideas for us started as a bunch of college kids trying to, to create change. And they realized that there's all these clubs and all these groups all over the place that are trying to do the same thing. So why not utilize one group as a vessel to channel all those activities and all that effort into one cause. So ideas for us started out as a meeting called the hive where they'd invite all these different professionals in different fields and different college groups to come together and then start like a campaign or create change, start a project, do a beach cleanup. And that grew tremendously over the course of the past 10 years. And from one of those hive meetings came this idea of fleet farming from the community and they put their funding together. They donated supplies and it was a volunteer run thing it started out very slowly and then we were featured on NBC nightly news in 2015 and it exploded now we have inquiries from all over the world on a daily basis of people who want to see this happen um, but we're really trying to build a foundation that's very strong here in Orlando first so that we can show everyone how you can start a movement and really impact a city right before we start to scale all over Florida, all over the United States, and then all over the world. Well, you have to have that playbook. You have to show how to be successful. But then you also have to show that so that you can get grants and you can get the donations. Like the philanthropic part of that mm -hmm. is, yeah, people might get excited about it, but they want to see what kind of results did you have? How did this work? Those sorts of things. There's not enough data to show the benefits of gardening or growing your own food because there's a therapeutic value sure. that is under undervalued. Um, there's also um, a financial value that I think the studies are a little bit more advanced than just overall how it brings a community together, how it makes neighborhoods safer how it makes people physically healthier to eat more vegetables. Mm -hmm. We're trying to take all that data now because we started in a predominantly um, middle to upper income level community in Audubon Park. And then we received $50,000 from the USDA to scale into Paramore and Holland Heights, which is considered a food desert, mm -hmm. where the average annual income is about 15000 a year. Um, and so... With that, we're trying to really show that you can replicate this model right now in even a low-income community so that when we do get offers to scale internationally, we want to show the greatest impact in the greatest areas. At the time she was on the show, August of 2018 to be exact, 
Lee Perry was the program director for fleet farming. She still is, and now Lee is also the chief operations officer for Ideas for Us. There are so many incredible programs that they have under this umbrella of Ideas for Us. Fleet farming is one of them, but they also do a regular monthly think tank that spreads awareness on environmental challenges. That's called Ideas Hive. They do solar workforce training programs. The fleet farming itself is urban agriculture, and they offer uh, consultancy on edible landscape services. They do shoreline restoration projects, pollinator garden installate. There's so many things. So go to ideasforus.org, F-O-R, us.org. You're listening to WPRK 91.5 FM. Where is college radio? Is it in our hearts? No, of course not. It's radio. It's mostly invisible waves that are passing through all parts of your body at the same time. To a certain degree, this show, therefore, is inside you. Every Monday from 7 to 9 a.m. on your FM dial at 91.5 or streaming at WPRK.org. Let's continue with the high school and college theme for the next segment with organizer and curator of Pachacacha Orlando, Eddie Selliver. I was a journalism major in high school and I was the editor of my high school paper and I had worked my way up from, you know, the lowest to the low. I don't know what I did coming into the high school paper, probably wrote obituaries or something. And a lot of obituary sections in high school papers. Yeah, it was short, but punchy. And, um, I had worked my way up to the top and then high school ended and I went to college and, you know, became a journalism major in college. And two things happened. One was uh, that I realized I was going to have to start all over from the bottom at the college paper and work my way up. And I, I didn't have much doubt that I could be editor of the college paper, but I was like, holy crap, you know, I have to do this over again. Then I'm going to graduate from college and go work for the LA Times or something, and I'll have to work my way up from the bottom there. And I, it just seemed like this Sisyphean, you know, boulder rolling that I didn't want to do. Just keep doing it over and over, yeah. And also, we went on a field trip to the newsroom of the LA Times. And at the time, you know, there were just a sea of desks with all these, like, very beat-out-looking middle-aged men in my memory, they all had a, like a bottle of whiskey on their desks and they just looked miserable. And it wasn't a great advertisement for a career in journalism. You know, they, they didn't look happy. And so those two things made me think, well, maybe I, you know, you should move into creative writing or something. And I did a couple of years of creative writing. Uh, and that was, I, I, it was strangely unfulfilling because in a sense, you know. You no mean one, professionally or? No, in college. In college, it okay. was a, It was my major, you know. And I, I didn't really like being a creative writing major. I didn't like being an English major, you know. It, no one can teach you how to write. Um, and I, I don't know. It was, it was very frustrating and unfulfilling. So I quit after two years and I became a janitor full time. And in those days, you could actually make a living as a janitor. I made a great living um, and put away a lot of money for savings and just kind of was like a bum, but a fairly well-paid bum. And I actually found it very liberating to be a janitor because you're essentially, you're in this sort of underworld. You know, no one wants to know you. No one wants to talk to you. People leave you alone. You're, and you're doing something that other people don't want to do for themselves, although mm-hmm. they could. So they ignore you. 
And at that point in my life, I really wanted to be ignored, to be anonymous. So it was like tumbling into this cool uh, underworld. Was it like that? I mean, looking back, you know, sometimes you look through rose-colored glasses and it seems more positive than it was. Was it like that at the time or did you actually feel like, I'm I'm not being fulfilled, I'm not doing what I was meant to do, those sorts of things? Or was it, you know, in in the moment, was it the right thing for you? In the moment, yeah, it was very liberating because it okay. was sort of an escape from expectation, uh, an escape from some kind of need to be something. Um, it was It was exactly what I needed at the time. Okay. But, you know, that turned out to be kind of a dead end too. Uh, so I, I really didn't, I, I had no particular plan, you know, and it's, writing is not the easiest profession to make a living wage in either. So I, during my 20s, I tried a bunch of writing jobs that weren't right for me, you know, retail advertising, you know, uh, magazine editing, travel magazine, um, nothing, nothing really worked for me until I went into corporate America in my, uh, around the age of 30 and corporate America, oddly enough, I found was exactly right for me because there was a lot of opportunity. Uh, most of the people doing it, um, were hacks. And so it was easy to, <laughs> to, uh, to be excel. slightly better. Yeah. 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 Bar is set low. So mm-hmm. yeah. That was how I learned to be a speechwriter. An executive there mentored me and trusted me and had me begin to write his speeches. And that was a really uh, great opportunity. Uh, And then to travel around with him and rehearse him and um, become a corporate speechwriter. There were many benefits to that. One was that I learned to be a speech coach and coach him and coach other executives. So I found myself in my 30s telling you know, presidents and CEOs, what to say and how to say it, and no, start over. And on on that ground, I had zero fear, zero intimidation. I discovered that, yeah, I could walk up to the head of a Fortune 300 company and tell them, nope, not right, it say it over, nice, do it again. Um, and they would listen to me. So that was, that was pretty cool. That'll give your self-esteem a, a boost, you know? So... Then just going back for a second, am I understanding it correctly? You did not graduate from college? No, I went back to college. I finished. I got an English degree, uh, honors English from California State University. Um, It was, you know, I don't know what the benefit of that was exactly. I'm glad I finished. I'm glad I had the degree. But certainly I didn't learn to write in college. I think... Probably like most people, I learned to think in college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the value of it. And research and those sorts of things. Right. I mean, I would, uh, you know, they would give us an Emerson essay and I had a, like a really tough professor, Charles Kaplan, who was very demanding and man, if you took a wrong step, you, you quickly knew you did. And, and, you know, uh, you had to work at that. So I, you know, I would take like Emerson essays and I would deconstruct them, you know, literally take them apart and think about what he was saying and how he was saying it and how he had constructed it. And that, you know, that was very eye opening. What advice would you give to somebody coming out of college? Because it seems like from your experience, it was try a lot of different things until you find the right yeah, fit. Yeah, that would be my advice. Okay. Use your 20s as a sort of experimentation period to find out more. It's more finding out what you don't like, what doesn't work, you know. 
And not being afraid to say, okay. Yep. Tried that. Didn't work. Didn't like it. Till you find what you like. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Twenties. It's a great decade for just messing up. This is no real consequences. You're, you know, you're not old at 30, you know? Yeah. You're still young in your thirties, but now you've, you've had all that, that former decade of messing up. I'm Nick Jurgudu. You. You're listening to a certain degree. Pichacacha is hard to say, but easy to experience. It's essentially a storytelling event with visuals, with slides in the background, but there's more to it than that. What makes it interesting, what makes it exciting for the audience and the speaker is the format. 20 slides and 20 seconds per slide. Each slide advances automatically every 20 seconds, whether the speaker is ready or not. It's six minutes and 40 seconds of dramatic, meaningful, poignant, and personal storytelling. I say that from experience having done one and having blacked out during the six minutes and 40 seconds that I was on stage. There's a lot of history to it. It started in Japan and it made its way to hundreds of cities around the world. It has also been part of Orlando for a decade now. You can experience past talks on YouTube. Look up Pichacacha Orlando. That's P-E-C-H-A-K-U-C-H-A. Pichacacha. I'm Nick. Thanks for listening to A Certain Degree. I'm always amazed and a little bit jealous by people who create art, visual artists. It's one of the reasons I ask them to come on the show, and sometimes I kind of fanboy out on them. That was definitely the case with Robo Ono and the next guest, Ryan Semple. Ryan is a local artist who is in the early stages of his career, but you can already tell it's going to be a long and very successful one. This specifically was about him taking commissions We talked about how that works, especially when a client says, here, blank slate, go wild. It's a lot more daunting when I'm given that like uh, open range because it's kind of like a like there's, you know, call to artists where they'll kind of just like, oh, it's like any theme, you know, it's like, oh, what do I make? You know, like there's endless possibilities, Mm -hmm. you know, you kind of start looking inward. And and for me, I'll I'll kind of just think about whatever I'm interested at the time or whatever um, I'm wanting to try out and I'll so maybe experiment a little bit a little bit yeah I I won't go like too wild but I'll I'll like oh I want to try like my most recent project Um, I wanted to try uh, like some different glue like different wood glue because you know like what better way to try something new out than to try it on something that kind of had like a open range theme. So it's just little things like that, that I'll, I'll try out. Nice. The, um, the process of actually creating, Mm -hmm. do you lock yourself in a room and you can't be around other people? Do you like to be outside? Do you have music blasting? I mean, obviously you're listening to a certain degree podcasts all the time when you're working. Uh, I, Definitely. Didn't want to. I, I don't want to uh, understate that. But uh, how do you? What's your actual process like? Um, so usually um, I'll have to sit down um, and kind of just whatever whatever I'm trying to achieve. Um, I'll kind of draw out what I know, and then if I'm um, wanting to include certain elements that maybe I'm not familiar with drawing, you know, I'll use reference pictures from the internet to kind of give me a better understanding of whatever it is I'm trying to achieve with the piece. 
Um, and then once I have somewhat of an idea that I like, I'll kind of like draw different variations of it over and over and over. It's kind of like my maddening process of just drawing something over and over until it's um, something that I feel comfortable drawing without needing like a reference photo. You mm -hmm. know, you're making it your own. Um, and then um, I'll kind of like sit on the idea for a little bit. You know, I won't act on it right away because I want to make sure that I'm sure of going forward with it. So because you might be very enthusiastic about an idea in the moment. Mm -hmm. But then a different set of eyes later on, you might realize, well, maybe this would be better or, you know, I this might be really difficult to do mm. in the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I sit on I have I have so many sketchbooks and I sit on so many ideas for so long. And a lot of times when I run into that like artist block, I'll, you know, start pulling those sketchbooks out and look back on old ideas and like, OK, like what can I use what I'm working with now and, and put it into this old idea. How can I like make this better than what I originally planned? Yeah. What about music? What are you listening to? Or right do now? you listen to, do you listen to music? Some people need the silence. Some people need um, uh, music in the background with no words because that distracts them. I was curious about what your creative process and what your interaction with music is. Uh, yeah, so a lot of music. I'll listen to podcasts, but um, probably a little bit more music. I think for me, um, I like a lot of instrumental music just because there's not a whole lot of words. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like there's a whole lot of um, influence on my mood or thoughts when there's no no word, like no lyrics in the, the music. Um, so it doesn't like sway me as much. Um, Sometimes I'll sit in silence if I feel like I need a breather from all of that. But yeah, for the most part, um, a lot of like instrumental music. Um, I mean, soundtracks or a lot of electronic music. Your sketches, I was looking at some of them this past week and this past weekend. And they look like they could very easily translate to tattoos. Mm-hmm. And I was just curious how you felt about that because I think that, you know, that's another medium that artists work gets translated into. Mm -hmm. um, I know you have a couple of tattoos at least um, from what I can see. You know, you came in here shirtless, which is a very interesting take, <laughs> on, uh, take on the radio show. But, uh, you know, whatever works for you. But, um, yeah, I was curious if you ever thought about so would this translate to skin? Could this be a tattoo? You know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And if anybody's ever asked you to design a tattoo. Yeah, I've had a couple commissions. Oh, yeah. Actually, one of my more recent commissions was a tattoo design. Oh, wow. Um, uh, a friend of mine is looking to get uh, his, his entire arm covered in tattoos, and he's getting animals playing different instruments. He's a musician. Um, and he actually had his... Uh, uh, hound that passed away I, I drew it up and it was playing like an upright bass so that was like a recent piece that I did um, tattoos are challenging though because um, things don't always translate from paper to skin sure. so well so a lot of times with uh, tattoos I'll kind of I'll draw up an illustration and then um, you know give it to the person and then depending on like if they have tattoos or not um, if they do have tattoos, they generally know like, okay, like this is probably going to get changed a little bit when the tattoo artist goes to work in 
And then if they don't have tattoos, I'll kind of explain, you know, like, hey, you can show this to the tattoo artist. They're probably going to change some things to like cater it to wherever you're putting it on your body or for the integrity of their own work. You know, like some people don't necessarily want to mimic somebody else's style. So they'll kind of put themselves into it. Right. And that's kind of why you're working with a tattoo artist Mm -hmm. uh, in the first place in some cases. So you want some uh, uniqueness to it or some of their style and flair. Exactly. Incorporated in it. I like the idea of you eventually getting to the point where you're trying to work in the different parts of the body, like maybe somebody has a big mole and they want you to make something around that. Oh, yeah. Does that sound appealing on any level? Oh, yeah. Now that I said yeah. it out loud, it actually sounds pretty gross. I saw this tattoo. Somebody got a, a cow on their stomach, right? And the cow oh, was... Oh, boy. <laughs> I think I know where this is going. <laughs> and the cow was turned around and uh, the belly the button belly was button, used. <laughs> yeah. Very uh, strategically, if you will. Yes. Yeah. It was a big yeah. belly button. <laughs> You're listening to A Certain Degree. I'm Nick. That was just a taste of the talk I had with Ryan Semple back in April of 2019. I encourage you to check out his work at ryansempleart.com. R-Y-A-N-S-E-M-P-L-E-Art.com. That's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed listening back to these conversations and putting them together for you. And I hope you have a better idea of what some of the people of Orlando are all about. There are more great episodes of the show with guests from all walks of life, including but not limited to choreography, writing, acting, directing, storytelling, community building, space, space, sorry, it sounded like a question, technology, teaching, painting, pins, improv, and music. Several other things as well. To find these gems, visit toacertaindegree.com. That's T-O-A, certaindegree.com. Thank you so much to my guests, Eddie Selliver, Lee Perry, Robo Ono, and Ryan Semple. Guess what? If you like this episode, all four of them are back for the next episode. They are so good. I was Nick Jorgidiu. I will continue to be so. This was to a certain degree. It will also continue to be so. You are listening to WPRK 91.5 FM.